Good morning, everyone. Good to be here. Some of us haven't seen each other for 14 months in the room, and you're very welcome online. It's great to have you with us as well. In fact, the majority of our church, to be fair, but it is good to be here. Uh, just as we were worshipping there, we, we sang, uh, Come all who are thirsty, let the pain and the sorrow be washed away. I do feel this is a significant day. It's, it's one marker along the road of kind of emerging and, uh, you know, the new normal. It'll be a new normal. We've got to believe God's been doing stuff that we don't want to miss But it is a marker, the fact we are meeting for the first time since March the 22nd, it was, the day before lockdown. So that's a long time. And I think it would be good just to kind of gather up somehow all of the experiences we've had in this season and just commit them to the Lord, to commit ourselves as a church to the Lord. Heaven knows, and only heaven will tell, uh, there's been a lot going on. So let's just come and pray. If you want to just pray with us. And let's just come before the Lord. Lord Jesus, shepherd of our souls. Lord, we come before you now as a small flock in one part of your world. And Father, we want to entrust ourselves again, give ourselves again into your loving care. Father, I thank you that through this season you've been looking after us, Lord, you have. You've been with us. I thank you for that wonderful testimony we've just heard from Jane. But no less any of us, whatever it is we're going through, Father, you watch us. You don't miss us. We're not lost, Father. And Lord, I just want to bring us before you now as a fellowship. Lord, I pray for those who have lost folks. Lord, I'm going to name some that I can remember, Father, some seniors particularly in this uh, congregation. But there are others of us. Father, I thank you for Fred Creedy. I thank you for Phil Watts. I thank you for Bernard. Lord, I thank you so much for Eileen Wardle. And I thank you for this precious young man, Ben, that we lost tragically recently. And God, there are others of us who have lost folks, and I apologize if I've forgotten any. But Jesus, I just want to pray that you would come and comfort those they've left behind. Lord, we move on. But so many of us in these seasons of grief, it is difficult for us and and we're left with a void in our lives. And so, Jesus, I pray that by your spirit, you would come and be so close to families, loved ones, Lord God. But, Lord, we have reason to celebrate as well, Lord. We've we've had marriages. Uh, Father, I thank you for Ben and Nicole and others, Father, that we've married here. And we celebrate those good occasions, Lord. I thank you for, uh, Lord, um, sorry, that was Alex and Nicole. I've married the wrong Holton son. <laughs> um, Lord, I thank you uh, for the births we celebrate, Lord. And again, I'm not going to try to remember them because I'd miss them. 
Life has gone on in this season, Jesus, but you have been with us. Your word has sustained us. And Lord, I want to just commit to you, those of us who are weary, we've sung all who are weary. And I know there are parents, Father, who have been homeschooling. And I particularly commit to you single parents, Lord, who have had, perhaps had to work and homeschool, Lord Jesus. And I just commit us to you. I pray, Spirit of God, would you come and refresh? I pray, would you break off weariness? Lord God, any of us, Father, that in this season we've just found it tough and wearying. God, I pray that we would have a sense that whatever happens in terms of restrictions lifting and timescales, that we ourselves would find that we're stepping into a new day in you, that you have been at work. It's not been for nothing. God, you have been at work. And Jesus, I pray that many of us would find that our relationship with you, that one-to-one vital, vital connection is stronger than it's ever been. We've had to throw ourselves upon you. We've had to trust you in bleak times. But God, I pray that we would find you there. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Lord, at this time, there's more ahead. We understand that life will go on but you will continue to be with us. God, may we be a church that so love you, so honour you, so are committed to you that the name of Jesus is on our lips. We long to proclaim the goodness of God and the truth of the gospel. And so, Father, I pray, would you fill us afresh? It's Pentecost Sunday. We may pray for filling again later. Chris may pray later. I'm going to pray it now as well. Come, come, fill us afresh. Fill us afresh. We're on this earth for a reason. You've not taken us for a reason. But we need you to fill us. So, God, would you come and fill us again? that we may live lives that glorify you. And we ask all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Do I hear an amen in the house of God this morning? Now, I've been told that uh, up until now, when we've been recording sermons, you've got to stand still. However, somebody did come up to me this morning and tell me I'm allowed to wander around, okay? Perhaps not too much. It was Johnny on the camera here, so it's your fault, Johnny. But uh, I'll try not to do that too much if it distracts. Okay, let's crack on. So we are landing now our series in Philippians. Uh, Just to say, my name's Paul Rogers. I'm the lead pastor here at Beck, if you're online and just joining us. Uh, We've been doing this series, this letter by this Apostle Paul to a church in ancient Philippi. It's the last section. It's actually, uh, Jane has kind of preached into this already, Philippians 4. Uh, But I want to speak this morning about winning hearts and minds. Winning hearts and minds. So if you've got a Bible, we're in Philippians 4. But just reading through my notes this morning, I did uh, feel I had a picture uh, related to this. And uh, certainly I think the talk speaks into it. And basically, I just uh, kind of saw a city where uh, there'd been bombing, a blitz, if you like, 
and uh, there was rubble and devastation and citizens were just kind of poking their heads out from the rubble, maybe out of the bomb shelters and were fearful to emerge. And maybe we've been through trials and maybe it's related specifically, you know, maybe we found this season, the last 14 months, coronavirus, all of that difficult. And maybe literally we are reluctant to emerge. We're, we feel exposed. We feel vulnerable. And I understand that. But I do believe for some of us, God is calling us out. If we've been through trials, like I say, it may not necessarily be related to corona. But God is calling us out. This is your time to emerge. You can step out in confidence. Perhaps we've got ourselves into wrong thinking and and fear about other things, fear about finances, relationships. But the Lord wants you to know he's taken care of the assault. And it's safe for you to come out. And like I say, certainly this sermon hopefully will speak to some of that. So winning hearts and minds then. For over a hundred years now, governments have understood that in warfare, success may not just be down to having a superior force. And I think we've got a couple of photos here of uh, Vietnam and Malaya. And governments have understood that there's been a need, and this was seen in those two wars, Vietnam in the 60s, Malaya in the 50s, that there's a need to win the hearts and minds of the populations. Because when hearts and minds are won, we act out of that. Our will is shaped when our heart and our mind, the, the, the core of our being, is one. And in wars, if you can win the hearts and minds of a population, then support for the enemy will not take root. They won't want to know. And the population can resist opposition. Now, in those two wars, and actually it was probably the phrase hearts and minds probably came from uh, British Um, strategist in the 50s in Malaya, but it was most famously uh, made known in Vietnam. Lyndon Baines Johnson, the president, spoke about it a lot, even though America didn't win the hearts and minds of the Vietnamese. But here's the thing. Spiritual warfare is no different. Thanks, Tim. Next slide. Spiritual warfare is no different. We understand, don't we, there is an enemy of our souls. The spiritual realm is more real than this physical realm. And there is an enemy, the devil. I don't know what you think about that. It's no wonder then that we face fiery trials. I'm not saying everything comes from the enemy, but usually there's an element to it. We are assaulted. We can feel oppressed. And I wouldn't be surprised if the enemy hasn't had a field day in the lives, even of some of us. I know it has happened in my life in this season with us. The enemy has got at us. He's tried to intimidate. He's tried to bully us. He knows, you see, that he isn't the superior force. And so he wages guerrilla warfare to infect our hearts and minds. We know, don't we, the greatest battle we face is in here and in here. 
And we have to win this war if we're to live the lives Christ has for us. And so he hides and he snipes and he injects us with thoughts to undermine our health and our well-being. And we can become overwhelmed. He loves to try and take us captive to fear. Like I say, to inject us perhaps with hopelessness, a sense of hopelessness. And maybe, again, in this season, if we're honest, we can ask ourselves the question, have I become a little bit fearful? Caution is one thing. Fear is another And in the book of Philippians, Paul has been waging a campaign for the hearts and minds of the Philippian Christians. And the enemy's been doing the same there with these Philippian Christians. God goes into battle to win our hearts and minds. The enemy does exactly the same. And the hearts and minds of the Philippians, you see, has been under attack. They faced physical persecution. We've heard about that. But they also face spiritual and emotional assault. Some of the issues Paul's had to address in this letter show us that, that the enemy had had some success. Winning the hearts and minds in some measure of these Philippians. He gained a foothold. Paul had had to address, hadn't he? Disunity. We've seen that. Be of one mind. He's had to say, be of one mind. Be like Christ. Philippians 2. Well, why was that? Because they were in danger of disunity. He says, don't, don't do anything. Do nothing with grumbling. So maybe they were got into a complaining, grumbling phase. He'd had to address legalism and pride. He said, look, look, I've got stuff to boast about. Okay, a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, sat as a Pharisee. And he'd had to say that was all rubbish. He uses a word, I'm sure you were told, he uses a word that's strong, actually. Dung. That is all dung. Or other stronger words. So he's warning them, don't get into pride and legalism. And in this passage, Philippians 4, he addresses anxiety. And so in Philippians 4, Paul is coming into land, as preachers say, I'm coming into land. But like most preachers, he then takes a quarter of his sermon coming into land, okay? He still takes a quarter of the letter in Philippians 4. And Philippians 4 encapsulates some of the key themes in the letter. And they're themes repeated elsewhere, as we're going to see in Paul's letters, And he he argues some tactics to win hearts and minds. So I want us to pay attention to this, because I think we all need this. I know I've needed this in this season. Jane's just been speaking about some of what you're going to hear. You see, there is a battle for your heart and mind. Folks online, there's a battle for your heart and mind. And so we need to own some of what Paul says here. This isn't for the person sat next to you on the sofa. This is for you and I. We need to win this war. So let's have a look then at Philippians 4, verses 4 to 9. Let's read this. In fact, we're allowed to read. Okay, we're allowed to read. Don't shout it. You're not allowed to shout but you are allowed to read. Okay, so let's read this together. And if you're, again, online, why don't you read this? 
So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And may God bless his word to us this morning. So looking at these three tactics then that Paul says this will help us win our own hearts and minds. The first tactic is this then, rejoice, rejoice. In fact, he says, rejoice, verse 4, in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. I feel a song coming on. Am I allowed to sing? (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Okay, and then it goes to a round. We could have done that. Maybe you want to do that at home, over the meal table. Maybe that's something you'd like to do. Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. It's a key theme of this book. Seven times in this book he tells the Philippians rejoice. Seven times he talks about joy. We've just heard from Jane, I think it was an amazing testimony. You can know, you know, James says consider it all joy. There's a joy to be had for us, brothers and sisters, in the midst of the darkest trials, if we will hold on and push through. He doesn't say, thanks Tim, don't worry, be happy. It's not just some glib statement. It's not a happiness subject to circumstances. If we chase happiness, if we chase feelings, they'll be elusive. It's, they're fickle. Feelings are fickle. They're unpredictable. I find it astounding the way our society chases feelings. As you may know, I may have mentioned it once or twice, I like sport. But I am fed up to the back teeth of interviewers at the end of a game. I heard it yesterday in a rugby match. An interviewer at the end of a game. Somebody's just won a game and they stick a microphone in front of them. They've won tremendous trophy. They've, they've, they've worked hard for this. They've trained. They've been disciplined. And the question they get asked is, how do you feel? As if feelings encapsulate it. And our society is chasing feelings. Brother, sister, friend online, listen. Don't chase happiness feelings. Don't just chase feelings of happiness. Joy is much, much deeper. You see, there's an intentionality Paul talks about. We make a choice to rejoice. It doesn't just happen to us, we choose to rejoice. And you can choose to to rejoice in this season. What is rejoicing? A kind of working definition for me is, it's when we confess 
and celebrate truth and God's goodness. It's choosing to confess and celebrate truth and God's goodness. And you can do that however you feel. You can choose to confess God's goodness. You can choose to celebrate it however you feel. I love how the message puts it. Eugene Peterson, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Awesome. In the darkest trials, our foundation can still be God's goodness. Ian, Pentecostal that he is, started off by saying, you know, wanting us to say God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. That's not a bad confession. I think another confession, Alina prays, you praise it when I've been in staff meetings and what have you with Alina, she prays, you know, uh, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I said to Ali the other day, we ought to wake up and say that to each other. There's a joke, isn't there, about waking up next to Grumpy and Ali feels like that about me sometimes. She wakes up next to Grumpy. (laughs) No, we're going to choose to rejoice. And I just wonder whether that's not a word for someone. Again, as I was preparing my notes, you're in a situation. Listen, no one's denying your situation is tough. It is. It's bleak. It's hard. But you choosing to rejoice is going to break something. Because if you choose to rejoice, the enemy can't get a hold on you. What can he do to you? If you're going to say, I'm going to rejoice anyway. I'm still standing and I'm going to rejoice. What can we rejoice in? Well, we can rejoice in the truths of the gospel. And there have been these truths in Philippians. I'm just going to run through these quickly. There's the truth, verse 6 of Philippians 1, that he's the Lord of history. It says this, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day, until the day of Christ Jesus. You can rejoice in that. He's begun a good work in you. He's begun a good work in the world. He's Lord of history. And he's going to continue that. Philippians 1 again, we, Jane quoted it earlier, verse 21 of Philippians 1, says this, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's the Lord over death. We can celebrate that. He's the Lord over all creation. Verse 9 of Philippians 2, it says about Christ, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Listen, that's true whether you feel it's true or not. Jesus is still the name above every name. There's still power in the name of Jesus, whether you feel there is or not. And we can call on the name of Jesus, whether we feel it's going to do anything or not. It is, because there's no other name. And then verse 10, he's the Lord over powers and principalities, because at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. There's forces arrayed against him now, but they're going to bow. And when we raise the name of Jesus, they bow now. So we can rejoice in the gospel, but we can also rejoice in just everyday things. This next one is, uh, this is how guys used to wear their shirts in the, um, back in the 70s. Obviously, they only had two buttons down the bottom and everything else was open. This is, this is cool in the gang. Celebration. Why on earth am I showing that? Well, it, it is a song celebration. But through lockdown, I put... Um, I want it, you know, I think rhythms have been important. And I put on my phone alarm, one o'clock, cool in the gang, lunchtime. It's lunchtime. And I can honestly say, I celebrated lunchtime. I've, I've mentioned, actually, I have found it difficult in this season. You know, it's been a bit bleak. It's been tough. I've been worn out. 
But I get to lunchtime and there's a bit of space, a bit of downtime. I can watch an episode of Parks and Recreation. Come on. You need to watch that, Amazon Prime. There's just a bit of space, just a bit of, you know, ease. And it was like a celebration. Okay. And then we go again after lunch. We can celebrate good things, everyday things. We heard, didn't we, on the well-being journey, if we contemplate nature for 10 seconds a day, take note of the beauty, take note of the birds singing, take note of the flowers, for 10 seconds a day, it's been proven to be, improve our well-being. So we can celebrate, rejoice in these things. So firstly, let's rejoice. We've taken more time on that one than the other two. Second tactic is to pray with thanksgiving. Verse 6 of Philippians 4 says, By prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And these, all of these three tactics I'm going to give you are interlinked. With thanksgiving. I came across this phrase the other day. I think it's true because it's a biblical principle. God can't give us what he has for us until we're thankful for what we already have. Do you believe God's got things for you? Do you believe God's got purposes for you? Maybe he's got, you know, changes of career, maybe, maybe changes of situation, maybe new relationships. Well, how can you step into those? Well, one foundation is, I'm sure, to be thankful for what you've already got, because whoever is faithful in that which is least is also faithful in much. So I think this is probably right. He won't give us what he's got for us until we're thankful for what we've already got. With thanksgiving. And what can we be thankful for? Well again, well, again, all that Christ has done, those truths of the gospel that Paul's been preaching and proclaiming through Philippians. But also, hey, listen, particularly in the West, what about just those everyday blessings we so take for granted? Was there anyone here, and don't put your hand up, but, you know, if I were to ask, does anyone here just not have food this morning? Like, and not, not just because you forgot to go to the groceries, that's, that's a different thing, but, like, you couldn't afford food. And there may be, there may be someone, there may be someone. But by and large, in the West, we have food on the table. We have a house to live in. We have clothes to wear. Many of us have jobs. We hopefully have sufficient income. We're doing okay. And in terms of worldwide population, we are in the nth percentage, right at the top of well-being and we can be thankful for that but we just take these things for granted don't we so let's give thanks for these things let's give thanks in faith for the answers to prayer let's be thankful that we've prayed about stuff we've prayed with petitions that God's going to answer because he's a faithful God we sung it earlier let's give thanks for the answers to prayer that are coming and it's really interesting This seems to be something of an antidote for anxiety. Now, we live, never mind in a coronavirus pandemic, we live in a society where anxiety is epidemic in our society. We're hearing it all the time at present, aren't we? Because of this season we've been in. There seems to be something in thanksgiving that is an antidote to anxiety because Paul says do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving so somewhere in there listen 
if you suffer from anxiety, somewhere in there, thanksgiving may help. I don't know how, I don't know why. Maybe it's taking stock that it's not as bad as we imagine it to be. But somehow the Bible tells us that it is something of an antidote to anxiety. I've talked to people who suffer with anxiety. And, you know, I can understand that they're a bit cross with Jesus when he says, do not worry. It's like, we think I am stupid. Of course, I don't want to worry. I just do worry. Well, maybe Thanksgiving is something you can do about that worry, to tackle that worry and anxiety. And listen, I'm not playing down issues of anxiety. I know many people who suffer with anxiety, but somewhere in there, the Bible says this can help. Lastly, thirdly, so rejoice, thanksgiving. Thirdly, focus on the good stuff. Focus on the good stuff. Let me ask you, do you meditate do you meditate? You say, I've never been near a joystick or listened to whale music in my life. What are you talking about? I want to argue, I think many of us meditate. Many of us, probably 90 plus percent. If meditation, I looked up a, a dictionary defini- definition, is a continued or extended thought or reflection. Continued or extended thought or reflection is meditation. I think many of us, myself included, we meditate on our cares and concerns. We have extended thoughts and reflections about our issues. Now, I understand they are issues. Finances, relationships, you know, work situations, physical illnesses. But we go to town, we Google, we try and find out more. And often the cause of it, you know, what it does is it feeds anxiety and worry. Well, what does Paul give as an alternative? In verse 8, it says here, he says, Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, Google those things. Think about those things. And that word think is, you know, it is chew it over, reflect, go deep. Let it change your behaviour is implied. What is, what's your mind filled with? What, what do you spend your time meditating on? Maybe you can nip things in the bud if it's your cares and concerns. Paul says, meditate on those things because there is plenty of good in the world. There is I want to proclaim that this morning, maybe online. The world, listen, it's still God's world. It's still a good place. He's still on the throne. He's still working his purposes out for good. And we're going to see a harvest, I believe. We're going to see a harvest of God's goodness. Souls getting saved. Miracles performed. Provision. There's the good news of the gospel again. We can rejoice in that. We can be thankful for that. We should dwell in that, the truths of the gospel. But there's other good news stories out there. I do think in this season, we've seen the best of humanity come to the fore. You know, people are still made in the image of God. And they may not be Christians, but good things can come out. And we can celebrate that. Who of us wasn't touched by Captain Tom? Just a good news story, you know. I think that's a good thing. I think it's fair enough to think about that sort of stuff. You know, an old guy just decides, I'm going to walk around my house. 32 million pounds later, come on, that's good. 
That is good. Marcus Rashford, this young footballer, you know, Mancunian, I think he is. I know he plays for United, but, you know, he's just stepped into a situation, used his fame and publicity for good. He's made in the image of God. I don't know where his faith is, but he's stepped into that. That's a good thing. It should lift our spirits. I personally, and, you know, you can have a different view on this, I was quite touched by finding out more about Prince Philip. This guy had always had him down, as, and there's traits of this, as kind of, you know, media portrayal, buffoon and all the rest of it. But actually, he's this guy that was very capable and chose service to his wife, the Queen. And I love the picture, two steps behind. I found that, I found that uplifting. You may be in a different place, but I found that uplifting. But what about the good news story of your own life? Have you been saved? Has Jesus changed your life? Are you secure for eternity? Hey, that's good. That's really good. If you know where you're going when you die, as Jane said, you know, we can, we can step through death. We need not fear death. And as a family history, has a family history changed as a result of you getting saved? Just to say... I do think all of this emphasizes why worship, sung worship, corporate worship, individually, is important. Why? Well, because in most worship, we're probably doing all three of these things. We're focusing on good stuff. Hopefully, songs proclaim truth that we can meditate on. We can rejoice in that truth. And we can give thanks. It's why there is so often in churches a battle over worship and worship styles. So we need to pray for Ian and his team that God will keep us in a place of worship. Okay, let's finish. I'm coming into land. (laughs) So what's the result of all this? These tactics. Well, verse 7, Paul says, and the peace of God, if you do these things, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. By doing these things, your heart and mind could be guarded by the peace of God. A couple of things. That peace there in Scripture, you know, it's, it's the equivalent. It's not the word there, but the concept, the biblical concept of peace is shalom, wholeness, well-being. It's holistic. We can live in that place where life is in order, where we're doing okay. I know rubbish is happening around us. We're going through stuff. Hey, no, but I'm okay. I genuinely am. It's one thing to ask someone in, in the midst of a trial, how are you doing? And they go, yeah, okay. And you realise, I don't think you've got in touch with where you're at. But it's another thing where they have, where people have genuinely bottomed out on Jesus. They found him in the midst of it. They know that shalom, and it's okay. That peace will guard your heart and mind. That word guard there, it's, it's the word for a military sentry. It's like God sends peace, perhaps angelic forces even, to keep you. And they're going to stand duty around your heart and mind if you cooperate with him. So your heart and mind can be one. And this is what, how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. I love this line. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. 
Folks, I have to say, I think some of us potentially, yeah, listen, I understand anxiety grips us. I've seen it in people. But I do believe we've got to hold on to the hope. Christ can displace anxiety. He can take the throne. Anxiety need not reign. Christ, if we'll employ some of these elements, can displace anxiety at the centre of your life. Okay. So let's give ourselves to these things. And maybe let's ask him now to help us know his peace guarding our hearts and minds. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And I'm just going to pray as they do that. That was like real life. Do you realize we've just done that? I've just finished a sermon and I've asked the band to come back up. Okay, It's not pre-record. It's not edited. It's not going out. This is like, these are real life people behind me, folks. Okay, (laughs) Most of them. Okay, let's just pray before we worship to finish. Why don't we just ask the Holy Spirit, are there lies that we're believing? Has the enemy got in? Is he sniping? Is he sowing untruths? into our hearts and minds that we've started believing. Maybe it's, maybe it's related to illnesses. Just wonder whether one or two folks online, maybe you're listening to this and your head's gone places. Maybe there's, there's symptoms of something, but your head's gone places. Maybe you haven't Googled it. Maybe it's financial situations. And you're, you're just, you're just, you've just gone down the road of worst case scenario. And you've, you're no longer holding on to the fact that God is a loving father who provides and cares for his children. I have yet to see the children of the righteous begging for bread, it says. He's going to look after you. Are there lies that we're believing that we're alone, we're unloved? Orphan traits coming out in us. Well, why don't you just renounce them now? The Holy Spirit's revealed things to you that have caused fear, worry, anxiety, captivity. Why don't you just renounce those lies? Just just say in your heart, you might want to say out loud, I renounce that. I I don't accept that as truth. There's something very powerful in this. And now, why don't you ask the Holy Spirit? Just say, Spirit, show me, what is God's truth? What's the good stuff I'm to focus on? He is your Father. You are saved for eternity. You're not lost. He's for you. He has family, church family for you. Spirit, I pray, would you speak truth at the core of people's being now? Reveal above all else, reveal yourself, Jesus, to them.
And why don't you choose now to rejoice? Why don't you just rehearse, confess, celebrate God's truth? Just proclaim it out. You may want to proclaim it out louder. I would encourage you to do that. Just proclaim it loud. This is the truth. Thank you, Lord, for dot, dot, dot. And Father, I pray, as men and women, young people now, rejoice, give thanks. Again, on this Pentecost Sunday, fill them. Fill them with hope. Let hope break forth like Jesus broke out the tomb. Dead things gone, new life, new hope, new energy, new strength. Come, Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray, as we worship you now, may we focus on the good stuff, rejoice and give thanks for all you've done in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.